Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. So good to have you with us, everybody. It cuts out in and out here. We're trying to go through another some a direct connect here, so we'll see how it works. Anyway, good to have you with us, Monday, November 21st, and it's Thanksgiving week. I don't know what you're thankful for. I'm sure many, many things. We have much to be thankful for in this country, but one of the things I'm most thankful for is our listening audience. Most thankful for? Well, I'm very thankful for. I'm fa- thankful for family. Thank you for uh, being in a country where we have the freedoms we have. And there's so much, but I'm also thankful that you're a regular listener. And I'm also very thankful that Alice, Andy, Joe, Sam, uh, Paul, and the rest of the crowd come on and make this program possible. We are listened to now. We're, there's so much listening going on to this radio program. It's probably one of the most talked about uh, programs. So I'm hearing from more and more people. We actually had someone tell me this morning that Dave, he says, I can't afford to be on the program anymore. I'm getting too much publicity. I'm going, is that possible? So anyway, it's, we really appreciate all the guests that come on. And I'm really excited about today's hot topic. We have Aaron D. of Legacy Mutual Mortgage in, down in San Antonio, Texas, who is um, going to be joining with us, talking about the transition from broker to banker. It's really interesting. There is a large number of people showing interest in this again. I have not seen this level of interest in a number of years. So we're seeing a lot of that activity. So we thought, let's get Erin D on here. She's gone through it. She understands it. Probably one of the most get into the weeds, cover the things uh, that a lot of people don't think about. So I was really impressed when I've heard her speak several times and we're really excited to have her on the program. Also, I want to just say that this podcast, again, is created by a mortgage professional. It is for mortgage professionals and we are the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. Let's say a quick thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the innovative new RateStar Rate Program, RateStar Program, and then also Motivity Solutions with real-time reporting and dashboard scorecards, Velma, an efficient marketing and email platform that helps you get the word out. Also, Simplifile, a real-time electronic communications exchange. We'll hear from them in a little bit. The Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network, a great place for you to meet mortgage professionals. And then DNH, moving your world forward through technology. They have been in business for 140 years, 5,500 employees, and 8,000 clients in 70 countries. It's amazing how much successful they are. Be sure to check out their new mobile app as well as their all-in-one LOS program. You can check it out at dh.com. You know, they got that URL a lot earlier because it's down to two letters, not too many of those out there. You can also call them at 1-800-815-5592. Also, again, special thank you to Alice, Andy, Joe, Paul, and Sam for their contributions to the program. Upcoming conferences. We're pretty much done with most of the conferences. However, we have the Independent Mortgage Banking Conference uh, coming up for the MBA that's throwing it. It's in uh, Palm Springs. We'll be doing a live broadcast from there. Also, I'll be speaking at the event January 23rd through the 26th, 2017. Be sure to get there. This this particular program has got some really good content in it. Also, February 14th through the 17th is the National Servicing uh, Expo, as well as we've got the M&A Export Expo coming out. That's in Dallas. Both the servicing and the M&A is up in Dallas. I'll be speaking at the M&A event as well. A lot of activity while you're there checking out all of the MBA's activities. Be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. Let's get over to Joe Fark. Joe, good to have you with us. Looking at the activity this morning. Hey, the rates looking like for the first time we're above the line. Uh, and I'm looking yeah, at Yeah, it's nice so, to see. Well, it's been brutal for Black a Black instead weeks. of red. Yeah. So Yeah, we are about. up today. We're up uh, 7.30 seconds on the day. Uh, no real news. Uh, Treasury auction should have just come out. I hadn't seen what it was. But, uh, you know, it's just been a volatile time. Um, last week was certainly uh, the epitome of that. It was uh, a lot more the same of the week before. Last week, MBS prices fell 150 basis points. And, you know, going back to Election Day, MBS prices are down over 3% on the on the 3% mortgage-backed security. Um uh, now on the three and a half, which we've just shifted our focus to, the the drop in prices hadn't been quite as bad, but uh, 
still down over 2%. So, And last week, it was just like every day. It was something uh, associated with the election or movement associated with the election. Mm-hmm. You know, we opened the day on Monday lower uh, by about half a point. Uh, and then by the end of the day, we were down three quarters of a point, and it was just simply, you know, global yields were rising. Um, we recovered half those losses Tuesday and Wednesday, and then we gave them back on Thursday. And then Friday was another bad day. So it's just every day last week, every day had a had um, un, either favorable or unfavorable price changes. So uh, and on Monday yeah, we saw both favorable and unfavorable on Monday. So just a lot of volatility. The economic uh, uh, news uh, had very little effect on on MBS prices, but yeah, on the data was really pretty good. Retail sales. Yeah. Uh, Retail sales are strong. Housing starts were huge. Uh, Single-family starts were at the best levels since uh, 2007. Now, that is a volatile number, but still it's mm-hmm. nice when you can compare something to, to that far back. Uh, and then talk about that far back. Jobless claims were at the lowest level since 1973. Um, so, wow. You know, it's got to be indicating strength there somewhere. Um, and inflation was low. CPI actually fell in October from September um, uh, by a tenth. So it's at 2.1 versus a 2.2 in September. So uh, low inflation and strong uh, data, uh, that's that's not bad, but it sure hadn't uh, had too much of an effect on MBS prices. Uh, and there's no reason to expect that's going to continue. Uh, uh, that won't continue this week. I, I, I expect the data is going to have very little impact on uh, on MBS prices. Uh, since it is a, a holiday week, you know, low volumes typically uh, go along with a, a shortened uh, trading week, and, and that generally creates a little more volatility. So it's hard to imagine more volatility than last week, but we could see some. Uh, housing data comes out this week, new home sales tomorrow. I'm sorry, existing home sales tomorrow, existing new home sales on Wednesday, and durable orders on Wednesday. And then... Um, uh, the minutes of the November second Fed meeting will be released tomorrow, but that uh, you know should create no new surprises. I, I think the, that information's gone been gone over a number of times, and and should be uh, uh, not a big event. So, uh, so do expect some volatility though. Yeah, you know, with, ever since the election, that's been the norm: volatility. And uh, I don't know how people manage this kind of volatility without a service like MBS Quoteline, folks. If you're not signed up, you can you can get a free. How many days will you offer this out to them? How many two weeks? weeks. Two weeks. Two man. weeks. Yeah. If they're not hooked in two weeks, there's something wrong. So anyway, if you want to learn more, <laughs> it's a great service. I love it. I'm I'm in it all the time. You watch my logins. I'm in it. Constantly, yeah. and I love the new mobile look. I mean, I really do like what you've done. I like the new look and feel on the on the login screen. So, kudos to you, friend. Appreciate it. Do a good job. Thank you. Keep it up, huh, folks? We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 the Lincoln on lending show is back here is your host david Lincoln. it's good to have you with us everybody appreciate it so much i'm looking for paul Mallow. he may be taking the thanksgiving break off i just realized i was looking for him up and down the switchboard here and uh, I think he's got something going on or he's tracking a big story. I encourage you to check out imfnews.com. The headlines are, is CFPB appeals ruling in, P- in the PHH case? So we were all wondering if they were going to appeal that. And the answer, just we just found out, the answer is yes, they are appealing it. And so more drama related to the PHH case. That's going to be really interesting. Thomas Ressler is on that article. Then also Ellie May is um, dominant among the providers of LOS systems. No surprise they're there. There was a, uh, 159, almost 160,000 active users of the LMA and Compass system. That, they've got an article on that. 
Um, that's up 18% from the year ago, year ago. So check out the website, imfnews.com. I'd rather have Paul here telling you all about it, but I don't see him dialed in here. So he's hopefully enjoying and starting his Thanksgiving holiday. Appreciate it, uh, everyone there at IMF News. Let's go over to and get an update from Alice Alvey and uh, look forward to hearing what you got to say, Alice. Good to be with you. Hi, Dave. Hello, and welcome, everybody, and thank you. Uh, my thank you goes out to all our listeners who uh, are very loyal to the program, and we're working to make sure we give you something new and exciting every show. <laughs> so, uh, and welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. But, uh, yeah, so for my legislative update, I did have that note here about the PHH uh, CFPB requesting reconsideration by the full D.C. Um, circuit as opposed to going to the Supreme Court, Right. So yeah. they're trying to get this panel to rehear this, obviously because of the implications. I mean, it sets up a, a pretty critical problem if we're now trying to say this legislation or group and uh, the, the entire structure that's been set up over the last several years is now not valid and needs to go back to the drawing board, which some folks would really like. But, boy, I can tell you that would be a huge disruption for us in our processes because mm-hmm. um, would leave a lot more questions unanswered than answered, that's for sure. So uh, we'll follow up with that in the next program when we get Paul back. Um, One of the other things CFPB did on a a note for the rural communities was they did publish their list of rural and underserved counties. Um, So the 2017 list does help for uh, the smaller areas where you need to perhaps not have an escrow account for high-priced mortgage loans. Um, It helps for balloon loans. It helps for exemptions to QM loans. Uh, So go ahead and check that list out because certainly it may have changed from what you were using uh, if you were into that product in 2016. And then um, I like the FHA actuarial report for some of the details. It tells us from an underwriting standpoint where is FHA falling with their risks. Um, So I know a lot of focus folks have focused on the fact that, okay, great, FHA's got some money. We don't have to worry about them shutting down. Uh, so then they go on and pay attention to something else, and they don't really look at the details within the actuarial report. Um, so some quick notes from there. Uh, California is still the top state in terms of dollars, but Texas, Florida, New York, Georgia, Maryland, Arizona, Virginia, New Jersey, and Colorado make up the top 10 states where FHA business is coming from. Of course, there's still very much 81% purchases of their overall volume, but they are reaching you know, about a 15 16% share in units in overall markets. So definitely a product you want to make sure that you have in your wheelhouse. And then the other factor to take a look at is the credit score range that they're uh, taking. Because obviously for any of you who are working with manual underwriting, you want to know where am I in the minority? <laughs> and so if FHA's not taking a lot of loans in that a 560 credit score range to five, maybe 599, then do I really want to take that odd loan and know it'll definitely get pulled for audit? Um, and in 2016, only 1.87% of the loans were in that 560 to 599 category, even though FHA says they may take it. Now, in that 600 to 639 category, it was about 16% of the business. business. And then as you get to 640, 679 credit scores, it was about 37% of the business. And then 680 to 850. Notice how big they make that bucket. <laughs> they're not getting a lot of great credit scores. No point in breaking that one down any further. Um, that's about 45% of their business. So they still definitely are taking a good, uh, you know, more than 50% of their business is below that 680 credit score mark. Um, but that's a good uh piece of data to take a look at as you're looking at how much risk should I take on my FHA loans. There are more details in that actuarial report. Say that five times fast on a Monday. <laughs> so, um, I will turn that back to you, Dave, and uh, that's my tips and tricks for the day. Good stuff. Appreciate it so much. Alice, I'm looking at all the things that there are out there, and I agree with you about the comments about uh, PHH and the them asking for an appeal on this. They're, this is just going to throw more uncertainty and increased costs. When anytime you have uncertainty, increased costs and volatility, and it just has a tendency to cause everyone to kind of pull in. I know they're hoping and, and anticipating, especially after the election results, that we're going to see things starting to loosen up a bit. Maybe that's not the right choice of words, or at least starting to ease up a bit. 
Um, but yeah, I tell you, this is, it's just one of those things you just like lock in on what we've got so we can deal with the known. So it'd be interesting to get your thoughts and takes on that as this thing progresses. Also, we have to get Mitch back on the radio program because he is representing PHH and all this. So Mitch Kider will get him back on there. So good job, Alice. Really appreciate it. We're going to be right back after a brief, this brief word. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Yes, the power of the network. So important to have your network in. Again, important who you know as what you know. So anyway, let's get over to Sam Garcia. Good to have you dialing in. Happy Thanksgiving, Sam. Yes, it is a happy one. You hear you see those cowboys yesterday? Well, I know. Yeah, look at my Seahawks, man. They just keep on trucking, so it's never pretty, but they're going back. (laughs) I'll tell you, the Cowboys, way to go. It's good. The teams I've been rooting for, except for Baylor, kind of, Baylor's kind of falling apart, but other than that, we won't talk about that. So, anyway, it's good to have you on the program. What are some of the headlines? By the way, folks, Sam Garcia is with Mortgage Daily, mortgagedaily.com. Great resource for not only news, what's happening, trends, but also some great data. Sam, what you tracking today? Ellie Mae put out its uh, report, its Origination Insight report last week, and that indicated the closing rate in October on uh, loans that were closed in October was 73%. Uh, and that was better than less than 72% the prior month, so always good to have a little bit better closing rate. Turnaround, uh, average turnaround was 48 days, so that was really no different than September. Um, now, we did a quick analysis of data reported by FHFA, and that indicated that uh, about 250,500 Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mortgages were refinanced in September. And looking at our historical data, uh, it looks like GSE refinance volume hasn't been that strong since August 2013 when there were uh, more than 302,000 refinances. But HARP volume continued to slow down, and frankly, overall refinance activity it's likely to see a sharp decline in the coming months, you know, because of high, uh, rising interest rates. And um, we've seen that in our, our, our mortgage market index report, which showed that refinances fell 21% from uh, the prior week. And purchase, even purchase money uh, business was down. And, of course, that's due to some recently increased rates. Um, also, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out their uh, monthly economic forecast, and in line with what I was just talking about, they cut their 2017 refinance outlook to $448 billion from $529 billion expected in their October report. So, um, you know, across the board, we're seeing that business uh, quickly dissipate. Yeah. But w- one thing that I like, though, is that when refinance business slows down, you see that lenders start to take more risks, start to uh, be a little more innovative and push up the purchase marketing. So, I, you know, that business, of course, is new business. And, um, you know, I'm always excited when that's going to happen. So, you know, that's, that's my take on that particular part of it. But, you know, we did a story last week uh, about mortgage-related companies that have been designated as the best employers by their local news publications. And, you know, the one thing that we see in these companies uh, and and successful mortgage bankers in general is uh, the culture being cited. Um, That's why they're a top, they're, you know, big producers are recognized, you know, for growing uh, and doing well. Um, For instance, you know, last year at the Mortgage Bankers Association's annual conference, um, 
Quicken Loans Chief Executive Officer Bill Emerson told me that culture is at the heart of their phenomenal growth. Um, Quicken, which ranked as the third biggest mortgage originator last year, um, it's seen its staff soar from just you know 4,000 employees five years ago to 15,000 people now. Wow. And, and Emerson, you know, he said that uh, the success starts with a belief system that's integrated into every new person that joins the uh, organization. And in our story last week, um, among those companies that were recognized as the best employers, Prime Lending came in number five uh, among 30 large company winners in the Dallas Morning News' 2016 uh, report for the best places to work. It's the fifth consecutive year on that list for uh, Prime Lending. And... Uh, the company issued a statement. Uh, its, its chairman and CEO, Todd Salmons, highlighted how the organization's culture, um, you know, of its team embracing its shared commitment to integrity, teamwork, and service, uh, really play a big role in it. And there's the same thing at Guaranteed Rate, another big player um, out there. They were awarded number six on Chicago Tribune's top 100 workplaces, and its CEO and founder, Victor Ciardelli. Um, he explained in a written statement that the company has a unique, passionate, and fun culture that attracts uh, it, you know, Chicago's best and brightest. So um, it's just good to see you know, that there's a common thread uh, that you can look to, uh, and that is culture and, you know, of course, integrity and a whole bunch of other things. But uh, that just seems to be what's cited among some of those best players out there. And I just kind of found that interesting. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't define culture. It's one may not be the best for others. So it's really interesting. So anyway, thanks, Sam. Good stuff. Really appreciate it. Check out MortgageDaily.com. You can go to it by just going in the search engine, MortgageDaily.com, or get a hold of Sam at 214-521-1300. Appreciate it. Appreciate the report, my friend. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. All right. Yeah, I look forward to it. Folks, we're going to run over and talk to Jim Jump, get an update on the Raystar app. It's good to have his pre-recorded comments with us. So let's hear from Jim Jump. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimize most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive RHMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. So good to have you with us, everybody. And we've got the Prophet Doctor. He's home from his many travels around the globe. It's good to have you here, Andy. Looking forward to having your thoughts on the hot topic today with segment. But always look for some wisdom from you, my friend. What well, there's so much to talk about, Dave. Well, first <laughs> so off, I'm going to be speaking at a CPA training event in a couple of weeks, that event I do every year where I teach the CPAs who audit mortgage companies about mortgage accounting. And then in February, we are launching again our MBA accounting webinar, so we'll be able to do that series on accounting again um, you know, Sam was just talking about some really important details that I could talk about, you could talk about as a hot topic, Alice could talk about, Joe could talk about. We could all do this all on our own someday. So, uh, But the point that Sam mentioned about 
a shared culture, a, a culture based on success and the belief system that everybody uh, agrees to do certain accountabilities. And it leads to one of the points I want to make for uh, uh, Aaron's talk about broker to banker, and that's you can achieve predictable results when you have the, everybody in the company sharing an aligned accountability to generate an internal promise to achieve commitments. So what, what that means is that loans close on time because all the players agree to what their commitment to each other is, and that includes file quality from the branch up to ops and turn times from ops back out to the customer for closing on time. And so it all works together because everybody works together. When you create the silos, it doesn't work as well. As a matter of fact, it blows up and finger-pointing, and it's a big mess. And this is applicable to Aaron's talk because from broker to banker, we're talking about implementing change. And we're implementing a change expecting to achieve a predictable result. And mm-hmm. that predictable result, you know, it could be, and Aaron's going to talk about this as a broker to banker, will you make more money? Will you control your destiny? Will you provide better customer service? You know, I'll leave that to Aaron to discuss more. But one of the key things about achieving this is um, measurement. And in measuring our results, that includes accounting, and that includes you must know your numbers. If you're a, if you're a, a broker and you don't track your accounting details, then you're probably going to fail as a banker because you must know your numbers. You have to know your profit per loan, your profit per product, your margin that's embedded in all the loans that you're originating from FHA to conventional USDA. And you have to have this commitment to accountability, commitment to measurement. So to have a predictable result through a transition from broker to banker, you have to embrace certain primary principles that include you have to have structure, and the structure will bring measurement. This is what Motivity talks about. You have to have measurement because if you have measurement, then you can have accountability. Did the loans get returned in 24 hours or 48 hours, and were the files that were delivered to ops clean and had all the file quality elements to it? Because that leads to measurement, leads to accountability, and if you enforce accountability, then you can have predictable results. The problem is, as you, Dave, see it all the time, and Alice sees this, is that people don't enforce accountability. They say, well, okay, yeah, the branch can do that because it's okay this time. And so when you when you start to abandon accountability, you you lose the ability to have predictable results. And that goes back to the culture Sam was talking about. You have to have a shared commitment to accountability because if you do, you'll have predictable results. Predictable results will be wildly successful. You know, like our good friend Casey Crawford, who started as a yeah. little company in, in 2007, that branch basically, and is now one of the biggest mortgage companies in the country. So you can do yeah. it. People can do it. But you got to have structure, measurement, accountability, and then you'll have predictable results. So, so I don't true. want to take Aaron's thunder totally, but that's, that's the financial it. side of this. Well, I'm glad you highlighted and underscored what Sam said about culture because that's one of the, my favorite topics, Andy, is, and I think it's, it's such an important one in so many companies, and they assume their culture. It is what it is. Well, it can be what you want it to be, and it's something exactly. you can focus on. And I think when you have good metrics and you have good KPIs, which we're going to hear about in just a minute, you really can accomplish that. But there is nobody better at getting this into a company especially when it comes around the finances than you. You do a great job of really educating it. And I'm just thinking about, let me see if we, who, we could go pick many people to have on the hot, the, as the profit doctor on here. A lot of people would like to have that title. You're the only one who has it, but you're the one that's teaching CPAs how to audit mortgage companies. So why not get you in to teach you for you to teach them how to get their financial straightened, straightened out. And so that when, uh, when they, when your auditor comes through the door and you say, well, Andy Shell says the profit doctor says, that's a great statement. <laughs> I love it. That's good. So how can people get a hold of you, Andy? What's the best way? Uh, shoot me an email, Andy at MBS team.com or just go to our website, MBS team.com and my phone number's in there as well. Very good. Well, I appreciate it. It's so good to have you here with us. And, folks, now we're going to jump over to John Maynell, VP of Client Services. Andy mentioned the KPIs that Motivity puts out there. We're going to hear which one. It's called the app-to-funding one. Let's take a listen to that. John Maynell, take it away. 
Hello, thanks very much, David. Always good to be here. And this week's key performance indicator is application to funded cycle time. Uh, since the arrival of TRID, cycle time measurements have obviously come to the forefront, everything from looking at the entire application to funded cycle uh, down to sub-cycles or cycle time between milestones. Everyone wants to compress cycle time, and the beauty of this type of strategic KPI is that it can be tied to operational KPIs that track the tasks or processes within the cycle that contribute to how long or short that cycle is. So operational KPIs can be thought of as the cause, and strategic KPIs are the effect. Uh, and balancing and monitoring these key measurements really can drive performance, and this demonstrates again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, David, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. Are you using one of those expensive CRMs that your loan officers won't use? If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. You know, a lot of people say, you've got, you got some ads on there, Dave. You've got some good companies and partners. You know what? One of the requirements is when you want to advertise on our radio program, you've got to have a product that has a compelling proposition that we believe in, that we either use or that we are experienced with, and uh, that we can get behind. So I encourage you to check out all of our sponsors, Motivity Solutions, as well as our friends over there at Velma. Good job, everybody. Now, without further ado, live from San Antonio, Texas, we have Aaron D. of Legacy Mutual joining us. Aaron, so good hello. to have you here with us. So, hello. And I Thank am you. to have you because I've heard you speak and I've heard the content in which you deliver. And there's, you, you usually speak with some really wonderful people up there, but there's something that when you start talking, it really comes through with some substance and there's some meat on the bone. I always walk away with tons of notes anytime you talk. Kind of like all of the guests I invite on the radio program here, uh, Andy Shell and Alice and Joe, they just, and Sam, everyone gets great content. So we're excited about it. But Lena, for those that do not know who Aaron D is, let me talk a little bit about you. Aaron graduated from the University of Central Florida with a degree in uh, Bachelor of Science and then in Finance, a BS degree in Finance. And then I just got the BS degree. I just got the BS. So I, uh, anyway, <laughs> and she also started out right out of college working as an underwriter. She has her 14-year career. She's been in many aspects of the mortgage industry, operations, sales, secondary, and technology. Her current role, and this is such a good title, Chief Strategy Officer for Legacy Mutual uh, down in San Antonio. Dan Diepenhorst hires the smartest, best people, and he has found someone with Aaron D. So I hope I haven't embarrassed you here, Aaron, with that introduction. But it's uh, just I'm really blessing. good. <laughs> uh, really, it's a blessing to have you here. Really excited to have you, and happy Thanksgiving. Let's talk about one of the topics you are very articulate on, um, you know, many aspects of operation. But the, one of the reasons I was excited to have you come on the radio program was to talk about the operational aspects. A lot of people say, I want to go in, make the transition for me, a broker to banker. And again, Aaron, for a lot of our listeners that are listening, going, Dave, you know, why would cover that? Isn't that topic dead? You would be amazed, folks, how many people are contacting us, myself and Andy, and many of us that provide these kind of services, broker-to-banker services, or de novo services. In other words, people getting into business for the very first time. And I think so many people say, as the, the broker-to-banker specific, well, I want to go make more money. Well, there's a lot more complexity about it, and that's what we're going to hear about today. And we want to get into that. So there are many factors to consider when making the B2B or the broker to banker transition. So let's start talking about the one of the favorite ones, the legal and the regulatory issues. What would be your recommendations when it comes to this area, other than have your heads, eyes open and be aware of what's coming. So share with us your thoughts, yeah. Aaron. Exactly. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm very, very grateful that you asked me and very excited for the opportunity. Um, so, you know, talking about this topic, I would have to say my first and main recommendation is that somebody considering making this transition really, really needs to find a great experienced advisor and legal counsel. There are so many pitfall, pitfalls, uh, you know, that they can fall prey to. And, and if they're going to make this really big transition, they want to do it with their eyes completely wide open. And they want somebody there who's, who's seen other people through it in the past and, and who can help them kind of maneuver through the landmines that are there. 
And there are some landmines out there. I think some of the things I'm most impressed with, and I've got several companies that I've worked with who hired us to help them make that transition. And they decided after going through it, they go, you know what? I don't think we want to be a banker. We're really good originators. And they stayed there. And I think that's an intelligent decision. So let's talk about how does someone know if they are ready to make the broker to banker transition? How, how, how do they know? What are some things you'd share with them? consider? Well, for, for me, I think you need to, to take a step back and take a really real look at your why, the why behind why you want to do it, and also your risk tolerance. That really goes into it as well. Mm, good point. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I think everybody, Andy, before beforehand even was talking about the potential for making higher returns, and yes, that's true, um, but that's going to come with much higher risk to your business, and you really, individually as a business owner, you're going to have to really expose, um, you know, your, your own personal finances and history and credit and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, you're going to have to to take on a lot more risk personally. Um, you know, so, so you have to determine, if, is that really risk that you're willing to take? Um, do you want to keep your business small and local? Do you want to grow it to a larger state or national presence? Or do you just want to grow it large enough to sell it off in a few years and then go, you know, go surfing on the, on the coast of Hawaii for the rest of your life? <laughs> Nothing wrong Great with that. Dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, so I think the answers to that why um, is really going to dictate the strategy that you employ. Um, but no matter what, you know, I personally think if, if you make the decision to to do it, you just need to be ready for probably the most fun and fulfilling challenge of your life. It's, yeah. it's a lot of work, but this is such a, a great business. So, um, you know, making the decision to move into it really is a good one. That's a great one. And, you know, you're a chief strategy officer, so it really makes sense <laughs> we ask you this question. And what strategic considerations should someone make or should must they make is probably a better way to say it. Well, this is basically an endless list. Um, so I, you know, I could talk to a lot of points here, but um, I'll give you some of my most important ones. Um, so first, you're going to look at ownership structure, uh, especially where is your capital coming from? Uh, you know, do you really truly know the people that you're going into business with? If you're not going to be doing it on your own, do you trust them? Um, you know, what is that structure going to look like? Uh, what type of business are you going to focus on? Will you be primarily realtor, builder? Are you going to be go after refinances? Will you be consumer direct? You know, really knowing who you are and what you want to be. So you're not kind of out there going after lots of different things. You can truly focus on on who you want to be. Um, And then what are your growth plans and how are you planning on recruiting new talent to your new company? Um, That's, that's definitely a big one. And really, you know, in light of current events and, and I think, you know, especially hearing from Joe, what is the economic outlook for your area and the country over the short and long term? you know, with all these market moves you've had recently in the volatility um, you know, that, that might take take into consideration for some people. Um, yeah. And then you also want to want to look at obviously what product types can you offer? You know, mm-hmm. based on on the structure you're going to have, can you offer the product types you want to? Um, how are you going to compensate your originators and and um, your operations and compliance staff? Do you have an operations team or do you need to build one? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you know what are your licensing requirements in your state? Some they they you know if if you're going to be uh, doing a state license, that's going to really vary from state to state for what you have to provide. Well, you brought up Joe, so let's get Joe on this discussion. Let's toss the mic to Joe. Joe. Well, and that laundry long list that you just <laughs> went over is uh, is something that most of the guys that run broker companies have no no desire to do. You know, they're sales guys, right? And so, uh, how does somebody, you know, that heads up a broker shop that wants to convert to be a banker, how how does he need to lead this company in, in a manner that's a little different than what he's used to? Well, I think that's a really, really great point. Um, you know, just because you are that really, really great sales guy doesn't mean that you're going to be able to go and, and run a growing organization. Sometimes you just want to sell, um, and it, it does take a lot of hard work. Um, and really, at the beginning, when you're trying to build traction, that organization is going to need somebody who's a true visionary, who's a true leader. Um, you know, at a certain point, you're going to have to be able to inspire all of, all of your new people to, to do the really hard work that it takes to build that business. Um, you know, and once your company gets to a certain level, you're not really going to be able to lead and originate. So you need to take a real good step back. And are you okay with that? Um, you know, do you want to just be a sales guy? Is there a, do you know somebody that you can bring in that can lead the company for you so you can sell? Um, or are you truly okay with, with taking a step back from selling and, and being that visionary and leader instead? Yeah. Well, and then how do you take it uh, beyond? How do you grow it? What are your growth plans, recruiting talent? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's definitely no secret that our costs to originate uh, compliant loans, they've been increasing and definitely putting a lot of pressure on margins. Um, you know, with the recent election, there is some talk about, you know, will any of, you know, Dodd-Frank be rolled back or anything. But I think, you know, it's a lot of noise right now. Um, there's the fact is today there's just a lot of costs there. Um, and with those fixed expenses that, that are required to operate as a, as a mortgage banker, you can only be profitable at certain origination levels. Um, so one of the things that you're really going to need to take a look at is understanding all of the investments you're going to have to make and operate and then determine what your break-even volume, volume will be and then put in place a realistic recruiting plan to bring new orig- originators in so that you can survive in the long run. Yeah, well, in, in that recruiting, it's it's – got to be a little bit difficult being a new entity coming in and and you know trying to bring people into this same mindset you have but what are the what are the the gotchas that go along with that because you're you're doing something that's uh, a little different yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think to your point, uh, a lot of times when brokers or originators go to become a, a mortgage banker, you know, they like they pull from the people they know, the people that they've worked with. So um, especially if you're looking to leave a current employer to start your own business, you definitely need to understand the comp agreements that you're under. Make sure you don't have any non-competes or anything right now. Um, you, you really don't want to find yourself in legal trouble that you didn't foresee uh, because you were recruiting originators or ops people from your old employer. Um, you know, another thing I think you really need to think about is is how you're going to compensate your new team, especially on the ops side. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I've got to pay out these big salaries to get people. Well, really, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think you can attract some really, really great talent if you just give them the opportunity to reap the benefits of your growth. So do you provide a really strong profit sharing plan or even the potential for equity stake in the company down the road based on certain goals and metrics? Um, you know, that's going to allow you to attract people who are truly invested in the company and want to work hard to see it grow and who are not just going to stick around for, you know, for the short term. Um, you know, finally, going back to the culture point, I think it's great that so many segments on the show have touched on culture um, because that's, that's super important and you need to make sure that you're, you're fostering the correct culture. Um, I've seen it so many times where people go after that shiny object, the big originator um, who does a ton of business, but they don't look to see if that person is a fit into the culture of their organization um, and, and they can really get themselves into a bind with somebody who doesn't fit and can really destroy what you're building. Aaron, hey, it's Andy. Thanks for being on the program. Such great insight. <laughs> now I understand why you're the chief strategy officer. So many good points. So let, let's. we got this business. We're starting to grow. we got the team. We've figured out the contracts, and we've got some people coming on. So now what do we got to do? Well, you know, we want to make some money, right? We want to be profitable. So let's talk about profitability. So just big picture, how does a mortgage banker – make money, and then how do I translate that into my my rate sheets moving forward? All right. Well, you are going to have two main sources of revenue. So you'll have your fee income, so your processing, underwriting fees, things like that. Um, And then you'll have the big one, which is the gain on sales from your loans. So this is where having a truly good advisor is going to come in handy. Uh, What they'll be able to do is help you with your competitive market analysis and truly understand where, you know, what fees your market will bear, uh, where market interest rates stand. And again, you know, this is an area where an experienced mortgage banker can really get into trouble without the proper execution and planning. There are so many amazing accounting firms, profit doctors out there um, that can that specialize in this area, um, and they can really help you evaluate the cost structure, what your target gain on sale needs to be. Um, and once you know all that, then you can determine what your rate sheet would be. Perfect. Thanks, Aaron. I, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about rate sheets, so that's, that's bad. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, and there's, no one better, there's definitely no one better to talk about it than the profit doctor. He does an excellent job. <laughs> turn up. Alice, let's get you in the discussion here. Come on in. Yeah, hi. So, hi, Aaron. So, hey. you know, this is a fun topic because obviously there's a lot of operational aspects to this that have to get planned out. So, once someone's kind of gone through the the business plan and strategy to become a banker, um, what are some of the areas you've seen them overlooked? I know no one really likes to think about compliance, so I'm I'm wondering what you've seen <laughs> in the areas <laughs> that people have a tendency to overlook as they go through this planning and strategy stage. Yeah, I mean, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I love. This is totally what what gets me out of bed every day. You know, there there's so many things to do. So you have to work on building an operations team, a compliance team. Um, you have to choose and configure your LOS, your origination system, and then of course you have to look at your warehouse lines, your agency, and your investor approvals. Those are kind of the, the big ones. 
And so from an operations standpoint, what are some of the other important considerations, right? I mean, staffing is a big issue. We have several customers right now who've chosen to just have a variable cost model and outsource the entire operation. So I'd like to hear what you're seeing as you uh, help companies with do this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, to me, the first thing is you have to have the people in your in, in your, your shop to be able to get the loans processed and underwritten and closed and sold. Um, so depending on the side of, size of your company, you're, you know, you may only have one or two people in each role. Um, you know, some things that are really important is you need to make sure that the underwriting staff that you hire is going to be designated, you know, has all the credentials that they need to work on, you know, VA, FHA, USDA, all those loan types that, that you want to offer. Um, but another thing is they need to understand your corporate strategy and risk tolerance. You need to make sure that, you know, as the owner, you know, your underwriting staff is truly in line with where you want to be from a risk standpoint. Um, you know, one thing that auditors, investors, warehouse banks, and really anyone and everyone who's going to be scrutinizing your business, um, you know, as you start and every year into the foreseeable future, um, they're going to want to see that there are clear lines of reporting um, that separate operations and sales whenever possible. Um, you know, I know that can be harder sometimes with smaller shops, but, but you really want to try to create those lines. You really don't want any appearance to anybody looking at your company that your origination staff is having any type of influence over, you know, underwriting, appraisals, things like that. So so make sure you can keep those separate. Okay, so Aaron, so you just talked about an underwriter. So I don't have an underwriter today because I'm a broker. So I've got to go hire an underwriter. And you, I think you said salary earlier, we've got to work on our salary structure. So sounds like I'm, I'm going to have some fixed costs that are going up. So now I've got to hire a staff and I got to hire an underwriter because I want to be FHA and I got to have a DE and they're going to cost a lot of money and you got to have them. And so how do you advise someone making the broker to banker transition to remain profitable with all these changes that are happening? You know, I, I think this is the classic chicken and egg. Um, you know, do you hire up in anticipation of volume or do you wait for the volume to come and then hire to, to accommodate it? Um, you know, I think it goes back to to your, um, you know, your recruiting and growth strategy. I've seen time and time again where one of the biggest reasons originators leave their current employer is because they're not able to get the service or turn times they want to grow their own book of business. And especially if you're going to get an originator to leave where they're at now um, and come take a, a chance on you as a new company, um, you're going to want to make sure that you don't let them down in that and that you truly do have the availability to to help them grow their business. I mean, that that's how you give your value to originators is help them grow their business. Um, so I'm really a firm believer of having that capacity to service new originators. If you don't have that from a profitability standpoint, then um, I suggest really building a bench of people that you want to hire as the volume comes in. It's a little bit more work up front, but then you have the ability to just pull people in as you grow instead of having a big delay. Yes, exactly. Exactly, exactly. We want to have variable costs, and this is going to be an awesome springboard to get Alice back in here in a second here. But So we're thinking about this. So what are some of the ways you found where executives are able to actually effectively deploy and create this, this scalable operation where they don't assume all these fixed costs at once? Yeah, and, and I think it does go back to Alice's earlier point where she has clients that are truly on a variable cost structure. Uh, you know, right now in our industry, there are so many service providers and other third parties who can offer that staffing assistance to you on an as-needed basis as you grow. You know, so if, if you just need a little bit of help for now until you can afford to make that next full-time hire, um, there are, I mean, MI companies can help out with contract underwriting. You know, there, there's no shortage of third parties out there that can help, um, and, and that will help to keep the cost variable while you're growing. Yes, so outsourcing is incredibly valuable, I'm going to add. <laughs> and there are only few companies that do it very well like we do. So, yeah, I do think that um, when people get started, you know, certainly you need kind of your process. But we've worked with companies who have, you know, literally it's a 100% variable um, cost model. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on outsourcing? Uh, we, we see it as a, as a great opportunity for folks to be able to grow and scale and keep it, you know, not that it's a one-off, it's a business model, it's part of a business model. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a perfectly viable um, business model. Definitely, if, the, if that's if that's kind of the structure that you've built around, um, you know, you just do have to keep a couple things in mind. You know, one obviously is that as an extra layer of uh, due diligence and vendor assessment, um, I think we all know that that vendor due diligence is a very very hot topic. So just as long as you're on top of that and doing everything you need to do from a due diligence standpoint to protect your risk, um, but then I think you also need to look go back to the culture question and the strategy question and make sure that the service provider that you're working with um, has the same culture, the same risk tolerance, you know, works with you to create an experience where, you know, it doesn't seem like things are going out to a third party, that it's all part of, you know, the, the all-inclusive experience of your company. Yeah, and that is something that's very critical to us. You know, we talk about that a company has to have the right mindset um, and for the outsourcing and that we as an outsource provider, it's important that we clone that, that we match philosophies and we do match and, and like you said, make it invisible to the customer. They don't know that it just went out to a third party. And so in all of that, you know, one of the things we do a lot of work on is compliance, right? This is the big one. So if I'm a, I'm a new banker, I'm a new broker and I make the transition from broker to banker, I think I know it all, right? I think I just have a few <laughs> extra forms that I, I know all about the forms in my application package. And, and we find companies are really surprised, even uh, what the state is asking them to have in terms of compliance policies and procedures. Um, so what have you seen so far? What are the things you see people have a tendency to forget about? Um, well, you know, compliance, uh, and I think we do need to add quality control to this discussion. I think they go hand in hand. And, you know, chances are a lot of times as a new mortgage banker, you're not really able to afford a full-time compliance team or even just a compliance officer. Um, you know, so this is, again, where risk tolerance is really going to impact kind of how you choose to address your compliance needs. Um, what I've seen is, is many new mortgage bankers will tend to spread compliance functions across the operational roles, underwriting and closing operations manager. I've even seen it before where sales managers had compliance. Responsibilities. Which, oh no, that's so loud, right? <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> I don't know about all that. You know, they need to call you if that's the case. They need your help. Um, you know, the, but really, what happens when you spread the compliance functions across like that? What you end up seeing is that nobody is making it their number one priority um, and their number one responsibility. So when it comes time to showing your auditors, your state investors, regulators that you know that you're doing everything you should be, or that you're covering all your bases, you're not able to do it because no one person's really driving it. Well, they are responsible for pointing out a compliance officer and their policies. Who is that centralized person, right? Um, so I think that is something that they have to look at. Will be an overhead expensive, right? The whole too small to comply problem start to arise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and again, going back to third parties, this is really just where you can totally take advantage of some of the great resources out, out right now where, you know, if you can't, if you can't pay somebody full time for that and for, you know, compliance and especially QC, um, you know, definitely reach out to a third party. Uh, you know, they provide excellent services and they can help you develop your policies and procedures, ensure compliance with reporting requirements. Humda, I think we all know is a big one right now. Um, and they can conduct QC reviews uh, that are required by agencies, investors and all the reporting that goes along with it. Can yes, I throw in a? Can I throw in a second? <laughs> Alice is the best at that. She does an amazing job at that, at that side of it. So, sorry, Andy, I had to jump in there. Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> well, you're right, Dave. She is. So, um, Alice said, or Aaron, you said, uh, uh, too small to comply, too big to fail. So, just so we're on the same page, as far as the regulator is concerned. There is no such thing as too small to comply. It doesn't exist. No matter how big you are, you have to comply with all the rules. And Alice has these really long policies, and you have to know everything about all of them. So, Aaron, we're starting. We've got one underwriter, two originators. We've got all this compliance stuff. What, what do we do to keep our costs down but also address our compliance needs and preserve, you know, our operational costs in such a way so that we're we're uh, profitable. Yeah, you know, I, I think, like I said, you can reach out to third parties, and then that really just kind of goes into what I think is the next logical topic in this conversation, which is uh, selecting and configuring your LOS. Um, this is something that is one of my favorite topics of all time. Um, you know, the, the right LOS is really going to help you serve those compliance functions so that you don't have to have a, a body going and doing a lot of these things. It's going to help you streamline all of your operations, build safeguards into your process, and, and really make it so that you can originate the maximum number of loans with the fewest number of bodies. Yes, exactly. 
and actually we uh, one of one of our team members spends most of their time configuring LOSs and helping people pick an LOS and make sure it's it's installed correctly. So what do you what are you what is your recommendation for what a person should do when they are uh, considering an LOS? Uh, well, I think the first thing that you should think uh, keep in mind is no matter what anybody tells you, nothing is truly out of the box. Uh, you are going to need to have a detailed focus on what you want your processes to look like. You're going to devote a significant amount of time into configuring your system, testing it. Um, it's really critical that, that this part is done right and done right up front um, and that you don't skip on resources. This is one area where I really think you need to make good investments. Um, once your system's configured, there are companies out there that will offer contract admin and ongoing support for your users. Um, they are excellent. I've worked with them in my past. Um, but you know, my personal opinion is I think you really need to have one person on staff who's dedicated to supporting your LOS, um, somebody that understands your business, that can be flexible, that, that, that truly knows who you are and what you're trying to do. Um, in some smaller companies, I've even seen the operations manager or their secondary staff assume this responsibility. That's actually how I got into working um, on my first LOS was when I was in secondary. Um, one thing I, I do think is important to know, and that I think a lot of people make a mistake in, is that you need a true mortgage person in charge of your LOS, not a tech person. Um, you have an IT staff, and they can support your needs, um, but you truly need to have a mortgage person driving that. Exactly right. And actually, in talking about outsourcing, this is one of the functions our firm provides, is that we provide outsource, encompass, admin support, or LOS support broadly, and I agree with your timeline. So let's, let's hit on that again. So how long should it take for LOS configuration and release when you're getting started and getting ready to launch? Uh, there's a ton of factors that are going to really go into that, but I wouldn't plan for a minimum of six months. It's really a big undertaking that you want to make sure to be serious about. Um, you know, and then once you have your LOS configured, you can also look into other add-ins. Um, I, will, I will throw Motivity out there. I think anybody who's serious about mortgage banking needs to really look at using Motivity. Um, but in general, you're going to be about six months for configuration. Exactly. <laughs> Joe, let's get you back in the discussion here. Joe, Joe's unmuting his phone there. There he goes. There, you're so right. <laughs> uh, you know. Aaron, we hadn't talked a bit about the thing that is probably most different to somebody who's been in the broker world and becomes a banker, and that's warehouse and warehouse facilities and and uh, agency uh, uh, and investor approvals. So uh, give us a little thought about that. Well, Joe, first I would like to say it's an honor to talk to you. My, my boss, Don Kalbacker, has spoken very highly yeah. of you, so it's, it's nice well, to be thanks. on the phone with you. Um, so really that's obviously a very important aspect of mortgage banking. Um, you know, If you don't have your own money to lend or investors to sell your loans to, you're truly not a mortgage banker. So, yes, that is definitely a very important topic. Okay, so what's first? All right. Well, first you need to determine where you're going to obtain your warehouse lines. There's some really great providers out there. Um, you really need to find the one that's going to offer you the best terms and credit limit. Um, you know, the interest rate that they charge you as well as the margin requirements uh, that they have are going to be incredibly important to you um, because warehouse banks will only hold lines on your line for a specific and contractually predetermined period. This is where having quality loans comes into play. You don't want to uh, you know, originate a loan and find out when you're trying to sell it to the investor that there's a lot of issues that you have to correct and it's on your line for way longer than your contract allows for. That's going to require you know, a, a you know, margin call, things like that, so, which could become very expensive. Um, so you need to make sure your operations team is focusing on quality loans for that for you know, many reasons, but definitely warehouse reasons is one. Um, you also need to really be prepared to open up your entire personal financial profile to warehouse banks. They're going to want to see everything, um, all the dirty laundry. They're going to want to, uh, more than likely, they're going to need a, a personal guarantee or collateral from you, um, and they're going to want to conduct a thorough, thorough risk analysis on you and the company before they agree to open a, a line for your company. Well, and that gets to that risk you were talking about early on, that some people just may not be comfortable with it. But Exactly. Right, so then the next thing, and you can't do much as a banker without having agency approvals and and people to sell loans to. So uh, uh, can you get into that part of it? Absolutely. So much like the warehouse approval process, 
you should expect a high level of, of scrutiny from agencies and investors. FHA, VA, and, and other third-party investors are going to want to see financials. They're going to want to see operational policies and procedures, compliance policies, resumes, uh, resumes and credit reports for the owners, and they're going to want to know what your QC process is. Uh, again, this is where reporting lines come into play as well. Each investor is going to be a little bit different based on their risk profile, but those are the most common requests that you're going to see. Um, if you're looking for approval for delegated underwriting, you may also need to uh, require or submit proof of delegation with other investors or a fixed number of non-delegated loans as test loans before they'll allow, um, allow you to underwrite fully delegated. Um, and then you have to be prepared to go through an annual research and audit process. So someone on your staff is going to have to go through uh, that annually as well. We have covered a lot of great information here, Aaron, and i just so grateful that you took the time out of your busy day and damn let you do that. Uh, but I really appreciate that. Be sure to thank them, everyone. But let's, My pleasure. As we wrap this up, I can't believe we're at the top of the hour, but what are some other considerations we may not have discussed? Well, I think, um, you know, every mortgage banker, once they've been in business for a while, wants to become an agency direct seller issuer. That kind of seems to be the next uh, holy grail. Um, so just a couple of things in, in thinking that, um, you know, first you want to take your net worth into consideration. Your agencies are going to want to see that uh, you can build and maintain a sizable net worth and the owners aren't just going to deplete it down to meet minimum requirements. Um, next is looking at servicing. If, can you, do you have the ability to, hand, to hold your own servicing? It's going to have very serious implications on your cash flow. Um, you can sell servicing on a flow basis, but that's a whole other level of approvals and integrations yeah. and work. Um, yeah. And then finally, don't expect to sell your loans um, you know, direct right away. Your pricing is not going to be super favorable, so you will still use the aggregators for you know, a time being. That is, there's just so much we could talk about. This could go on and on. And uh, I'm getting a lot of email questions in for our listeners. And for those of you that are, are emailing me, I go on. The best way to do is just, if you want to talk to Aaron, several people said, I want to talk to Aaron. I got it. How can I reach her? So what is your email address? Or is that the best way for people to get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, email for sure. It's Aaron, E-R-I-N dot D-E-E at LegacyMutual.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. It's so my excited. pleasure. It's really fun. Alice, Andy, Joe, thank you so much for participating in this really great interview. It's been a lot of great, a lot, lot of information here, and we really appreciate you listeners being here. Next week, we've got Emma Monroe dialing in from, she'll be dialing at 4 a.m. her time. She's in Australia. Talk about off, offshoring, and she's got some exciting things that she's doing that are supporting mortgage bankers across the country. And I've invited Emma Moreau with Sales VA to come on and talk to us about some things to support the sales effort. Very exciting. She's really a neat lady. I like Aaron, and I'm really excited to have her on. Have a great week, everybody. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn by searching my last name, David Licken or Licken on Lending. Have a great week, and I can't wait to see you back here soon. Thanks so much, everybody. See you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.